the water. This is the third year. Actually, I believe it's the fourth year. This is the fourth year in October that we take the month out to discover great stories, great happenings, great encounters from God's Word. For some of you today, it's a discovery, meaning what? It's the first time you'll hear this story or these stories. For most, it's probably a rediscovery, rehearing a story that we've maybe heard many times in our lives. But we've got to watch because we can become religious with stories. We can know the end, so we forget what's happening in the process. And that's why we're asking everyone, come into this fresh. If you've never heard it before, it's fresh. If you've heard it before, ask God to show you something fresh from His Word, because His Word is living and His Word is alive. I'm telling you right now, one of the greatest ways that you can learn the Bible greats is to get a kid's Bible, a children's Bible, and read through some of the greatest messages I've preached come through reading my children's Bible with my kids because it's so simple, but yet it's so profound. And it's so powerful. And I would just encourage you to do that. And parents, if you don't have a children's Bible in the house, you need one because you need to be reading to your children every night. So, so important. Judah loves to hear the Bible stories. And he always wants to know what's coming tomorrow. Daddy, what's happening tomorrow? So we have to tell him. We'll talk about Samson tomorrow. Okay, I'm good. Let's go. He always wants to know what's happening tomorrow. But get the Word of God inside of them. Because God's promise is this. Are you ready? My word will not return void. That's God's promise. And when we need it in our lives, if it's there, we can recall it. We can grab it. And we've got to make sure that we're reading God's word, that we're in God's word so we can read it and grab it. There's a lot of debates. You've got to read this version and that version. Here's my heart. Are you ready? Read any version you want as long as you're reading God's word. There are definitely versions that are better than others, and we could debate about that and talk about that. But I'm telling you, I get just as much out of a kid's Bible as I do an adult's Bible because the stories are the same. And what are we doing? We're looking at each message through this month and realizing that their story equals our story. That there's a real parallel that we can draw from them because we're human beings just like them. The same struggles they faced are the same struggles that we face in our lives. But the same God there is the same God right now. And the same God that is able to meet each and every one of our lives. Last week we talked about burning the plow. Who burnt some things this week? Took care of some things, set ablaze to some things that don't belong in my life. They're keeping me tethered to my past, to the ordinary way of living. And God wants me to step out. God wants me to live that life of faith. So we looked last week at Elijah calling Elisha. Just how a cloak, a mantle was thrown on him. Very little detail. But that's the life of faith that we discovered. There's not often a lot of detail, but there's a massive promise. And the massive promise is, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to help you. That's God's promise to every one of us. So today I want to talk about strike the water. I want to talk about how Elisha now has the cloak. He has the mantle that was thrown over him earlier. But what would he do with it? What will we do with what God has given to us? It's great to say God's blessed me with this, but what are we doing with that? Because God doesn't bless us just to sit back on our blessings. God blesses us to be a blessing to other people. That's why Malachi, when we get excited about the tithes and offerings, he said, bring all the tithe in the storehouse. Why? Because prove me, because I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out such blessing, you won't have room enough to contain it. Listen to me, God's not a God of waste. Why does God give me more so I can sow more, so I can bring more and I can give more? It's the same in my life. God wants to bless me so I can be a blessing. So what are we doing with what God has given to us? So we're going to read the story and we're going to discover your story today. And one of the Bibles that I have, it entitles this passage, Elijah's Ministry, or Elisha's Ministry rather. But it still wasn't guaranteed. He still had to grab a hold of it. So we're going to read some Bible today. Actually, quite a lot of Scripture today because we're going to read the story. And then we're going to come back and break it down. So 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we're actually going to read all the way through. I don't know. We'll just keep reading and then we'll stop. Is that good? So let's read together. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. That Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Say with me, Gilgal. Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on 
to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord God lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Say with me, Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord is going to take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Don't want to talk about it. Verse 4, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Say with me, Jericho. So where are we at? Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, same story, came out to Elisha. They said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, yes, I know. Don't want to talk about it. Keep silent. Then Elisha said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. Say with me, Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. Now we could preach a whole message just on the names of those cities because Gilgal means a rolling away. It's a picture of our salvation experience that God rolled away, took away our sin, the failures, the mistakes, that God rolled them away, took them away from us. But then there's a place called Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. That's when we can enjoy the fullness of God. That's when life is good and everything is going well and life is hunky-dory. Anyone know that kind of life? We know that life. A rolling away, a salvation experience, living in the fullness of God. But then there's a Jericho. A Jericho is a picture of great impossibilities. It means that a place that will need great faith. Have you ever been there? Life is great and it just feels like everything falls out from under you. What a picture of our Christian walk we see just in Gilgal, Bethel and Jericho. But what, notice this, is a Christian walk. We can't stay at one because we have to move to another. Because our Christian experience needs to be constantly progressing. But what? In Gilgal, Bethel and Jericho, Elisha says the same thing. No, no, no. Read on with me, verse 7. So 50 men of the sons of prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. The Jordan is a place of divide. It's a place of separation. It's mentioned very significantly in the Word of God. It was the border, literally, between the wilderness and the promised land. When the children of Israel disobeyed God for 40 years, they were in a wilderness. God says, now it's time. And He had to take them through the Jordan, a dividing, a place of separation, so they could step into their promise, their promised land. Now Elijah, verse 8, took his mantle, he rolled it up and he struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so the two of them walked across on dry ground. This is the same mantle, remember, that was thrown on him last week. But it wasn't his yet. I said it wasn't his yet. He was still in training. He was still serving the man of God. And that's really key for our lives because if we wait to have it, we maybe never will because it's not just in the having, it's in the obtaining process. Come on, we're about results. We want it now, but God's more interested in the process that takes us to the result. Why? Because if we arrive wrong, we're going to be wrong. But in the process of arriving, God changes us. So when we get where we're going, we're going to be the man and the woman of God that he wants us to be. Let me say this about verse 8. Did you catch the miracle? Did anyone catch the miracle? What miracle just happened? The water divided. You see, we've got to be careful and we're going to discover this because we can skip over it because this isn't the main event. Hold that thought and remember that. Verse 9, And so it was that when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taking away. Four times he said, leave me, stop, stay. Every time Elisha said, no, I'm coming. Finally, Elijah says, for goodness sake, what do you want? What do you want? Notice ask was with an exclamation mark. What do you want? What is it that you need? One of the most loaded questions that we will ever see in the word of God. 
Because he said, ask anything that you want. What is it that you want? Sounds a lot like blind Bartimaeus. Remember that man who cried out to Jesus and people around him told him, be quiet, God is not interested in you. But when he kept crying out and he refused to be quiet, Jesus had him brought to him. And Jesus said similar words to him. He said, ask whatever you want. Listen, you can have whatever you need in Christ. He's the answer to every problem. That's what he's showing us today. You may say, well, just give me a million dollars. That would solve my problem. Listen, money never solves money problems. Creates more problems. But God has everything that you need. Maybe not what you want, but He's got your needs taken care of. And what a question every one of us can have today. What is it that you need? What did you come here searching for today? Maybe you came searching just to know a little bit more about God. Ask Him to show you Him today. Maybe you came here searching for a healing in your body. Ask Him today because He's still the healer. Maybe you need a release in your spirit today. Ask Him because He's still the water walker. Come on, He's still the blind man healer. He's still the leper cleansing man from Galilee. Come on, ask God, what do you need? And Elisha said, here's what I want. Give me a double portion of your spirit upon me. You can look at that and say it's pretty arrogant because really what Elisha was saying is, see you, I want to be twice as good as you. I want to do twice as many. I want to double everything that you had, double it. That's where I want to live. Man, I I just think this is really important. And I'm trying not to preach right now because I'm just reading the story. But I think it's so important that we would look and realize in the culture that we live today, it seems every generation is coming in lower than the one before. The standards, the life, just everything is just lower than the generation before. I just really believe that we need to change that. Instead of my generation being an offcast of what I am, I want my children to be better preachers. I want my children to be better leaders. I want my children to be better parents than I have. And I'm believing for that. I want a double portion to be carried on to my next generation. So what am I doing? I'm asking God for that. God, anoint my kids, touch my kids, bless them to do greater things, to reach more and to do more than I have ever done. Verse 10, so Elijah said to him, you have asked a hard thing. You have asked a hard thing, period. Nevertheless. Can I say that again? Hard, period. Nevertheless. Hard, period. Nevertheless. What does that mean? I love that word, nevertheless, because what he's saying is this. It may be tough, but God. It may be big, but God is still bigger. Come on, it may seem impossible. Nevertheless, God is still the impossible God. Big, but obtainable. Man, I love God's word. Sorry, I get excited. I get excited. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so. But if you do not, here's the thought, see me, it will not be so. So if you can have it, if what? You see me when I'm gone. Come on, you've got to see it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to see it. God said, you've got to see it. You've got to see it. Verse 11, then it happened. Well, I love the word of God. It just says, and so it was. Then it happened. God's in action. God wants to do things in our lives. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. I wonder what their conversation was. Man, you ever think about stuff like that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just weird. That's cool. That's fine. They just talked and hung out. That suddenly a chariot of fire came. If you're not old, you missed that joke. Sorry. And horses of fire came and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Wow. Come on, let's say that backwards. Wow. Verse 12. And Elisha saw it. Say with me, saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more, but he took hold of his clothes And he tore them into two pieces. You bet Elisha cried out. 
You bet he cried out, I saw it, I saw it. Why? Because it was required for the double portion, remember? He was making sure that God knew, hey, I saw what just happened. And he didn't just say, I saw it. He told God what just happened. I saw chariots, I saw horses, I saw a well, and God, I really saw it. I'm not going on someone else's account. I saw it with my own eyes. Come on, God's got a miracle for you. Thank God for seeing other people's miracle, but you've got to start seeing something for yourself. I saw it, I saw it. And then he does something. He tears his clothes. That's a sign of grief. That's what they would do in those days during a time of mourning. They would tear their clothes in anguish, in sorrow, in pain. And I began to think about that. It was literally a sign to God. I need you at this time. I need you. I'm desperate for you, God. I need support. I need help. I need encouragement, not only from you, God, but from those around. In Elisha's mind, maybe his whole world had just gone. And he's now grieving in that moment. But I'm telling you right now, his grief didn't last long. Because verse 13 says, and then he took up the mantle. Come on, remember that cloak that was thrown upon him? Now it's laying in a heap on the floor. And he grabs that and he takes it up. That which had fallen from Elijah. And now Elisha stands back by the Jordan River. He's standing by the river again. It's not parted. It's not a highway through. It's a river again. And he's standing there again. And this is the part of the story a lot of people stop at because we've seen the chariots, we've seen the horses, we've seen the whirlwind. But this is still one of the main parts of the story. And it's where we took the title of our message from. Verse 14, then he takes the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water. Come on, say with me, strike the water. And the Bible says, and he said, why? Because there's power in our confession. Come on, action with confession is a powerful tool. And he says these words, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was divided this way and that. And Elijah crossed over. Where is the God of Elijah? Here's what I believe he was saying is this. God, I have left everything. I have nothing to go back to because I set up fire to the plow and I killed the oxen. I've surrendered all of my life to follow you. Don't let me down. And God doesn't disappoint, does he? I could read on today, but we're going to stop there. And Wow, that's some story. But now, can we look at how it can be our story too? Is that okay? I want to look at how it can be your story too. 1 Kings 19.21, this is where we left Elisha. Last week. And the last part of that verse says, Then he arose and he followed Elijah and he became his servant. This was a new beginning for Elisha. It's actually funny that nothing is told in regards to the relationship that they had. Elisha follows Elijah and serves him for maybe up to six years, they tell us. So for six years he's left a life To go to serve in someone else's life almost. But yet faithfully he is there. What we do know about that period of time is this. We don't know how their relationship developed and what happened. But we realize what Elisha saw. Because he saw some incredible miracles that Elijah did. He was a part of those. He was right there. He had a front seat view to everything that went on. I wonder if their relationship was maybe like a father-son relationship. That Elijah was just schooling him and was mentoring him. However it was, one thing I can imagine is that Elisha was in awe of Elijah. As he saw the miracles. And in his heart he said, man, I want to be like him. But something stirred him greater to the fact of, I don't want to just be like him. I want to do greater things. I want to be greater. I want to be more powerful. I want to do more for God than what I watch Elijah do. You see, there has to come a time in each and every one of us when we cannot just live out of the abundance of faith of others who have gone before us. So here's my first point today. Are you ready? My first point is this. We have to walk in faith 
for ourselves. We've got to have a faith walk for ourselves. He's in awe of what's happening, but he realizes what's happening through Elijah is not going to continue. That God's getting ready to use him, but now he has to have a faith walk for himself. We've got to have our own encounter with God. As a parent, I can't have it for my kids. I bring them in an environment and I have them in groups. I get them around other people where they can have an experience with God, but they've got to have a personal encounter all for themselves. And that's what we've got to realize in our lives. I can't get to heaven on my parents' salvation. Can't get to heaven on my pastor's, priest's salvation. It's a personal thing because God's going to say one day, as every one of us stands before him, what have you done for me? Come on, we have our own work to do. We have our own gifts to use. We have our own step of faith to take. I remember my life 24 plus years ago, living in England. Everything was good. I was pretty much running the youth ministry there. I was very involved in the kids' ministry. I was leading praise and worship in our church. I used to lead praise and worship with a piano accordion. Can you picture that? Pretty sad, huh? Pretty sad. When you get to heaven, they'll give you a harp. When you get to hell, they'll give you an accordion, is what I was told. I don't know if that's true. I used to lead praise and worship. I'm telling you right now, the same energy I have when I preach was the same energy I had when I led worship with a piano accordion. They can be heavy. And I would dance and I would get excited, man. I wouldn't care because I was giving God all the praise. But you know what? God called me out of my home comfortable place. Sat down with my parents and my parents at first said, no, this is where you belong. This is where you need to be. We haven't felt that that's God leading for your life. And you've got everything here that you want, everything that you need. And we just want to see you used here because you have a call on your life. You have a gifting on your life. It was probably two days later, my dad pulled me aside and he said to me, Philip, I need to talk to you. And dad said to me, he said, God has spoken to me and God has told me that I've got to release you into what God has for you. He says, I was being selfish because I wanted you here, but I've got to release you and I've got to let you go. And if you feel that America is where you need to go and that's what you need to be a part of, He said, we'll support you, we'll stand behind you in any way that we can. That was a massive step. I said, that was a massive step. But you see, I had come to that place, I knew God, I had a relationship with God. But I believe that God was calling me to do something different than just being a part of that family church there. I believe that God was calling me out to start a church, this church. That God was calling me to this place for this time. And I believe that God had something inside of me and I had to take that step. You see, I had to say, God, I've got to find you for myself. Thank God for my parents and thank God for their leading. But God, I've got to know you for myself. Do you see that? I've got to have that walk. I've got to be obedient to you by myself. Why? Because God has a specific plan and a purpose for you. But you've got to walk in it. You've got to live it. So here's Elijah and Elisha. The Bible says they're walking towards Gilgal. Gilgal was their home base. It's where they lived. It's where they stayed. It's where they visited out of. And while they're walking there, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, Hey, buddy, I'm just going on to the next town. But listen, you can just hang out. You can go and do the laundry. You can just catch up on the bills, check the mail. You can just hang out at the house. I'll be back. But Elisha says to him these words, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going with you. Second Kings 2 Kings 2.2, he says, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, the next place. So in Gilgal, he has a test. In Bethel, he has a test. In Jericho, he has a test. And every one of the tests was the same. Stay, stay, stay. But through every test, Elisha said, no, no, no. Here's my second point. Are you ready? When you step out and you have that faith walk all by yourself, the first thing you're going to encounter is this. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tested in your life. Bad God. Don't like God when we go through the tests. And notice it's an exclamation point, not a question mark. It's not, am I going to be tested? It's, when am I going to be tested? How am I going to be tested? A lot of people have preached a wrong message. Give your life to Christ and you'll never have another problem. You give your life to Christ, you now become a threat of the enemies. But remember this, you have something greater living inside of you. 
that God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's a different you because of the God that's living inside of you. Proverbs 3 verse 12, New Living Translation. It says, for the Lord corrects those. God, can you just not just hug me? Do you have to spank me? Do you have to correct me? Do you, can you? But what is God showing us? There's going to be tests. There's going to be things in our life that we may not realize today the significance of. But we've got to trust the fact that God loves us. So, Father, God knows best for our lives. And it goes on, just as a father corrects his child in whom he delights. God delights in you. That's why he is testing you. I said God loves you. That's why he's testing you. Because he's trying to bring out more in you than you realize is there. Come on, you rise to a challenge. That's what happens when we're tested. Something comes out inside of us. James had it figured out. He said these words in James 1, beginning of verse 2. He says, my brethren, every one of you counted all joy when you fall into various trials. When you're tested, shout hallelujah. It's a joyful experience. Who realizes today that's a lot easier to write down on paper than to live? Well, I'm just going to be rejoicing in God. Praise God, Pastor. I said amen to that. But man, we're not amening it by the time we get home and our washing machine ain't working no more. Huh? And the air conditioning's out. Man, that's tough in Louisiana. I went camping this weekend. What's up? End of October. It should be cold weather. I'm sweating in the tent. It's not happening. What's going on with that? We're going to be tested. In our lives. But he says this, verse 3. Here, we can't stop at verse 2. Turn to someone and say, don't stop at verse 2. Because that's just him laying it out. Verse 3. Knowing. Say with me, knowing. knowing. Knowing that the testing of... Notice, not my parents' faith. Not my pastor's faith. But my faith. Because I've got to have that faith walk for myself, remember? Knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. There's something proven through a test that we would never get in other areas of our lives. God is using the test and the trials to produce a goodness in us, to perfect us, to change us, to make us better. You see, my problem isn't I want to be better than them. I want to be better than me. I want to be better than what I was yesterday. And that's what God wants to do each and every day. What do they do to temper steel to make it strong? They have to put it in a fire. Forged in steel, if you've ever seen that show, they do that. And then they beat, they beat it. And then they put it back in and they beat it. Man, have you ever felt like that? That you're in a fire and you're thinking, man, hot, hot, hot. And then you come out of that fire and you think, oh, that's good. And then all of a sudden that hammer, bam, bam, bam. And then you're like, okay, it's got to stop. And then all of a sudden it stops and then you're back in the fire again. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. Man, I feel like preaching today. Are you ready? If you're taking notes today, here's what you need to see. You ready? God has to test what he can use. Because God needs faithfulness. Not just willingness. You know, we've got a lot of willing people. Can I, can I just break it down to you today? Just willing people. Pastor, if you need anything from me, I'm willing. We need stuff from you. We need people to be faithful. We don't need people to say, hey, call on me. We need people to sign the dotted line and say, I'm there. Put me on a schedule. Put me down. Why? Because I want people who are faithful because faithful people show up. Come on, we got some faithful people showed up today. Didn't get in town home from a busy week. Didn't get back in town till after midnight last night. And they were here when I got here to church this morning at quarter to eight, faithfully serving us. Come on, I want faithful people in the house. And God has to test us so we can be faithful. And that's what he wants to use. You need to be one of our dream teams. You need to be a part of that. If you've got questions about that, sign up for Growth Track. Starts November the 5th. The greatest way that you can be part of serving other people. But you see, what I've discovered in life is this. Making the decision to live for Christ is the easy part. Living it out is where it gets tough. John 4 verse 24 tells us that God is a spirit. That's just a part of God and that's a way that we can minister and relate to God. And the Bible says, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Can I break that down? Those who worship God must worship Him in the world and in church. It's a big difference, isn't it? 
Big difference. Easy to praise God in the house. Woo, praise God. Bands playing, Sarah's singing. Man, that would make anyone praise. If you don't, then you, you need to check your pulse. Heard some Lenny in the house today too. Come on, come on. Awesome stuff is happening. But it's another thing when the boss tells you you've got to work late. It's another thing when the doctor calls you up and says, see that little mole? It's maybe not looking too good. Can you come back in? Those who worship him must worship him in church and in the world. In the good and in the bad. And we've got to remember that in our lives. Got to remember that in our lives. Notice this, please. God tests and Satan tempts. Satan uses temptations. It's not the temptation to sin. It's when we yield to those things. But remember, why does Satan tempt us? Because he wants us to fall. He wants us to fail. The thief comes, John 10.10, to kill, steal and destroy. He doesn't want you to succeed in life. But listen to me. God tests you for success of your life. Teachers don't test us at school for us to fail. They test us to pass, to go to the next level. Sometimes we fail in the process. Why? Because we didn't study. We didn't put in our effort and our work. So what does a test do? A test shows the failures on our behalf. And that's why God uses tests. Because he shows the weakness and the flaws in our lives and how much we need him in every area of his life. Elisha is even tested by other Christians. Prophets came out to him and said, just stay here with us. We'll take care of you. Everything's good. You've got to remember, Christians ain't perfect people. They're a work in progress just like you. But we can put the stuff to the test. Amen. What's the test? God's word? Put it to the word. Is it word? Is it God's word? Because he won't go against it. Is it going to make me more Christ-like? Is it good counsel? Is it God's peace? That's the tests that we can go through in our life. Verse 7, And so 50 men of the sons of the prophet went and stood facing from a distance while the two of them, what? Well, the two of them stood close. They stood close. Point number three. Man, I've got to move on today. Number three, you've got to stay close. You've got to stay close. You've got to learn to lean into God. Every day you've got to lean in. That's why we ask you to pray. And we don't force that, but we suggest that every day pray every day. Read your word every day. Why? Because it causes you just to lean into God every day in your life. You've got to watch for the distancing factors in your relationship with God. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says we've got to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance, patience that's set before us. Notice the Bible says weights and sins. It doesn't just say sins. We've got to be careful. God's really been dealing with me on this passage lately. If you've noticed, we've been talking about it a lot in our messages. Because we can have weights in our lives that are not sins, but they have the capability and the probability to become a sin if we leave them unchecked. So we've got to watch what's weighing me down, what's burdening me down in my life. We can label it and say, well, it's not stopping me from getting to heaven. But is it stopping you from being effective here on this earth? And that's what we've got to look at because it can become a weight that can so easily become a sin in our lives. That's why we've got to stay close, examine our life. What's holding me back? What's hindering my relationship with God? Jesus told his followers, Luke 9, 23, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, here's what he needs to do. He's got to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We read stuff like that and say, okay. We, we hold our little crosses around our necks and we say, okay, that's cool. But you've got to realize the picture he was painting for them was horrific. The torture that they witnessed as they would walk the streets, hearing the people crying out, tortured on crosses. The Romans would do that, major intersections. They would line the intersections with those who were crucified to show people this is what happens when you try to fight against our rule and you try to fight against our power. The picture that they had in their minds was a bloody picture, a horrific picture, a suffering picture. And Jesus said, every day, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. Jesus said, every day, you've got to die. Come on, every day, I've got to die to self. Every day, I've got to die to pride. Every day, I have to die to some dreams that I have that are maybe not his dreams. I've got to die to passions that maybe I have that are wrong. I've got to die to feelings. How many of those feelings will lie to you? Got to die to those things for what reason? So I can live in Christ. There's so many 
Christians that are content to follow Jesus from a distance. They're saved and they're going to make it to heaven. My question today is this, is that true living for Christ? Is that the abundance of life that he wants us to live for him each and every day? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. He said, do you not realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? Run to win. Is your life every day running to win? I love that picture. Run to win. What's the point of showing up to a race if you say, I'm not, I'm not going to win? Everyone has a chance. Come on, I'm running in such a way that I'm leaving it all out on the track. I'm leaving it all out on the field. If I don't win, then don't let it be said that I didn't try my hardest and I'm not doing my best. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training, yet they do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for a higher prize. It's an eternal prize. It's heaven. So Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. I want my life to be purposeful. Come on, every step. When I step into that meeting at work, I'm stepping in with purpose. When when I'm stepping into that hall at school, I'm stepping in with a purpose. I'm I'm in a mission field and God's going to touch me. Come on, where I'm stepping in life, I've got to start stepping in purpose. In every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might become disqualified. In the King James, it says, I bring my body into subjection. Some things that we need to bring into subjection in our lives so we can live that proper life for God. Here's the question. How close to Him are you? And we're going to ask from His side, not yours. Because our perspective is very different to God's. Oh, I'm kind of doing good. Read a little bit more. Paid some tithes this week. Signed up for the dream team. Man, doing good. It's moving me in closer. Those things don't move you closer to God. It's having a relationship with Him. Come on, because faith without works is dead, but works don't produce that faith. You've got to have a faith in your life. Ask others. Here's a challenge for you. Ask other people around you, what do you see in my life? What example am I for Christ? And don't be shocked because some of you are going to get an answer maybe similar to this. Oh, I didn't even know you lived for Christ. That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem when we can't ask other people around us how well we're doing. Because the problem is we probably know we're not doing well. And we don't want to hear it. But we need to hear it for this reason. We are God's chosen means to evangelize this world. So if we're screwing up and messing up at work and not being the godly example, how are they going to know Christ? You may say, well, I've messed up so much. Well, tomorrow's a new day. Start fresh. Go in there and say, guys, I'm sorry for my words. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the things. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. Why? Because I'm changed. Today can be your changing moment. Because we've got to remember who we are. And how can others follow the lead if we're not leading the right way? And the Bible says, while others stood back, Elisha pressed on. He leaned in. Come on, lean into a daily relationship with God. If you ever said to someone, they said, do you know such and such? And you're like, yeah, that's not just my friend. We're close. We're tight. I mean, we're real close. Come on, that's what we need to have with God. Come on, he's not just my friend. He's my BFF. Come on, we're close. We're real close. Real close. Number four. I only got 15 points. We're not far away. Number four, don't miss the miracles of life. In waiting for the main event, we can many times miss the miracles that he's providing to take us there. Yes, they had to cross over the Jordan first at verse 8. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. So the two of them could cross over on dry ground. That was the first miracle. That wasn't the only miracle. In fact, that's a miracle many of us miss waiting for the main event. But my challenge to you today is this. What does God have to do in you first? You want a miracle. You want to be saved. Let's use that example. You want a, you, you want a marriage. You want, you, you want to be married. You want a family. You want someone to love you and take care of you forever. That's awesome. That's an incredible miracle. But what needs to happen in you first? God wants to do a work in you to make you marriage material. You need to be working on you before you're praying for them. 
And so many times we're waiting for the big event that we fail to see the importance of the events that needs to take place in order to move us towards that. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. We need to start seeing the miracles that are taking us to our intended destination every day. Ten lepers were healed. Only one was made whole. The one that was made whole was this. He came back and said what? Thank you. A thank you. A thank you was the difference between healing and being made whole. And I'm telling you, there's power in those words. Thank you is still probably two of the most powerful words that we could ever say. When's the last time you thanked God for your miracle? When's the last time you thanked God for what He's doing in your life? Oh, you've come, grumbled and complained about what's not happening plenty times. And you're upset and you're mad. But when's the last time that you thanked God? The fact that you're breathing today, you need to be thankful for. The fact that God gave you another chance, you need to be thankful for. The fact that you woke up in a home, you need to be thankful today. That you had a roof over your head. That you had a family. And you may say, well, I've got no family at home. Look around you. You've got a family in this home. You've got a job. If you haven't got a job, you've got income, you've got help, you've got support. You've got a car that brought you here. If you didn't have a car, you had a bike. If you didn't have a bike, you had a bus. And if you didn't have a bus, thank God you had two legs to take you there. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful today that you stepped into a church where people love you. Be thankful today that the church paid the electricity bills, that we've got lights, we've got AC, and we've and coffee. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Come on, I thank God for the sunshine, but I thank God for the rain. I thank God for the blessings. I thank God for the problems in all things. i got news for you today. You may say, well, I don't have any miracles. Look in the mirror because you are a miracle. And you need to start thanking God for that every day. Thank you, God, you saved me. Thank you, God, that you changed me. Thank you, God, that you love me. Woo! First Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Did you catch that? Living in thankfulness, living in appreciation to God, that's God's desire for your life. That's God's will and purpose for your life. That's the way God can bless your life. You've got to catch that. What's the will of God for my life? To be thankful? Because when you're thankful, that creates an avenue where God can bless your life. Philippians 4 verse 6, I don't have to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Don't forget to say, oh, here's us. God, I need this and you better give it to me now. And then we get up and leave. Come on, don't end your prayer without saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then we can make our requests known to God. We've got miracles around us every day. Have you thanked God lately? We're quick to complain about what's not happening, but failing to be thankful for what is. Come on, my husband may not be saved yet, but he came to church with me. Come on, that person may not be delivered yet, but they let me pray with them this week. God didn't maybe raise up Doug's son, but God healed their relationship, that they had a relation together. You've got to start seeing the miracles in your life. That's number five. You've got to see it. Come on, turn to someone and say, you've got to see it. Got to see it, got to see it, got to see it. Man, I I need five more minutes. Can I have five more minutes? Here, give me five more minutes. Come on, let me see you. Five more minutes. There you go. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty, forty. Another hour and a half. You knew that was happening. That's why some of you didn't put up your hands. You got to see it. You got to see that God has more for you than what you may be living right now. But you've got to start realizing God has a double portion for me. God has more reserved for me. Come on. God has more than I could ever imagine. Verse 9, ask what you want. What may I do for you? He says, I want a double portion. And verse 10 says, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, 
If you see, if you can begin to see it. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the confidence of what I hope for and the assurance about things which I do not see yet. I may not see it happening right now, but by faith I begin to see it. I begin to declare it. I begin to speak it. Come on, you got to start seeing your healing while you're laying on a doctor's bed. you got to start seeing your deliverance as you failed again and you're taking drugs. But you got to start seeing through the breakthroughs that God has and the salvation of loved ones. There's a lot of discouraging things out there. I thought about that word, discourage. Come on. The enemy wants to diss your courage. He wants to steal your courage. He wants to take your hope. Notice this statement, without hope, we're hopeless. Without hope, we're hopeless. You've got to start seeing opportunities instead of impossibilities. Opportunities for possible to happen that may may appear impossible right now. You've got to see that you are strategically placed to make a difference. I heard a story of a pastor who'd come over from one of these foreign third world countries. They took him to Disney World. They thought he would be blown away and would absolutely love it. He goes through the doors of Disney World. He sits down and he weeps and cries. And they said to him, why are you weeping and crying? It's the happiest place on the face of the earth. And he said, I see all these people who are lost and go into hell. Come on, we've got to start seeing those things in our lives. We've got to start seeing what breaks the heart of God. Elijah saw it and he reminded God about it. I've got to end. Say with me, strike the water. So here he is. He's prepared Everything he's prepared for, everything he's waited for, he's faithfully served six plus years for. Now it's his. What's he going to do with it? What are you going to do with it today? What are you going to do with this word today? Oh, it's okay for them. No, no, it's in your hands today. Your future is in your hands today. What are you going to do with it? What is he going to do with the call of God on his life? Verse 14, he took the mantle and he struck the water and he said, Where is the God of Elijah? What was my first point today? You've got to walk in faith by yourselves. Here's number six. Are you ready? God never disappoints. Life is disappointing, but God says, trust me, it's still not over yet. You see, the world has disappointments. God has appointments. It may not be right now when we allow ourselves to be disappointed, but God says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. God still has an appointment. God does not disappoint. When we go out for Him, come on, He's there to respond. He's there to meet our every need. Yes, the water's deep, and Elisha knew that, but he also knows something else now. The deepness of the water is nothing compared to the power of God that was birthed inside of him, that which is birthed inside of you. Striking the water was his moment to test whether God was with him too. And God didn't disappoint as the waters divided again. Elisha could have packed up and said, man, my buddy's gone. Man, what do I do now? I'm just going to go home. I'm defeated. But no, (laughs) he refused to be denied. My last point today, you ready? Musicians, come back. He's your God too. Where's the God of Elijah? Oh, he's not just Elijah's God anymore. He's Elisha's God. He's not just Elisha's God. He's Christie's God today. He's Judy's God. He's Rodney's God today. Come on, he's Breezy's God today. Come on, he's your God today. He's your God too. He wants to work for you. He wants to be with you. He wants to fight for you. He wants to help you and strengthen you. But guess what? It's trying to strike the water and let your God be God. Come on, his story, Elisha's story, can be our story today. You've got that mantle. What are you going to do with it? Bow your heads all over this place. Precious Jesus. Sorry, I went over today. I apologize. Come back next week and I'll maybe talk shorter. I will be short next week. I'm on vacation, so I will be short. Preaching for my buddy in Ohio, Jerry Hunt. A lot of you know Jerry. Preaching for him next weekend. You can have a great word next week, though. 
Pete's got something brewing right now and it's going to be good. Why? Because we're taking you through the life of Elisha. It's going to be good. Bow your heads. I ended with the point that he's your God too, but that's a question. That's not a statement. There's a question there because he is your God, but it's a God that has to be accepted as yours. That's what I love so much about David in the Psalms that we read of David these words many times oh God you are my God he doesn't just say oh God he says you are my God he had a personal relationship with God is God but is he your God that's something that you've got to accept I know what he wants I know what his desire is his desire is that none should perish but that all should have everlasting life his desire is for you today his heart is for you today just like our heart and our desire is to see you today Give your life to Christ. But will he be your God today? I'm telling you, he doesn't disappoint. Go backwards. He doesn't disappoint. You're going to begin to see things that you never saw before. Come on, you're going to have faith to do. Look at the man. Everything is pivotal upon whether he's your God or not. And he's your God. I wonder today as every head is bowed, you're just searching in your heart today. I wonder if there's anyone right now that would just lift their hand and say, you know what, Pastor? He's not my God today, but I want to make him my God today. I I want to give my life to Christ today. Maybe rededicate my life. Come on, if that's you, just lift your hand up wherever you're at. I'm not going to embarrass you right now. Is there anyone right now? Anyone? Anyone right now? Let's all stand together, Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious God. I'm thankful today that everyone in this place has said he's my God. But yet, my heart is still heavy because we need to have people in this house every week that don't know God, but we can help them move along that scale. We've got to be inviting people, bringing people, getting them in the house. We've got great tools available. What a great little card you can just take to hand out to people just to invite them wearing your shirt well what's in counter church well can I tell you how I was a Jacob and God made me an Israel tell them your experience tell them what God has done in your life but here's what I want to pray with you about today and then Sarah and them are just going to minister just going to sing for a couple of seconds what I want to say today is this what are you doing with that mantle what are you doing with that gift that God has given you what are you doing with that call that God has given your life. So I'm telling you right now, the only way the water's going to part and you can walk on in your life is you've got to grab that thing. You've got to put it to use and say, God, you're my God and I'm going to serve you. You've got to strike the water today. You've got to strike the water. Some of you need to strike healing today. Come on, you're sick. You need to strike for healing today. Some of you need to strike for financial breakthroughs, for your family, for your future. You need to strike in the name of Jesus. This thing's held me back long and I'm moving in in faith right now. Come on, what are you striking for? In the name of Jesus right now, God, I just pray that, God, you would just touch everyone in this place right now. God, I pray, God, that everyone would realize the call that you've laid upon their lives, God. But, God, now it's a call of action, God. It's a call into purpose. But, God, we've got to strike the water. We've got to declare today, God, you are my God. God, I'm going to walk out in victory. I'm going to see breakthroughs. I'm going to see miracles. I'm going to see nothing that I could ever have imagined is going to begin to happen in my life. Why? Because, God, God, you're God. You're parting waters right now. You're healing.